0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Darkcast Network. The light shines brightest on our indie podcasts.
1: We are Wendy and Beth, and
0: we host the podcast Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color. Tell the people about the show, Wendy. Well, happy to. As you might have guessed by now, our show focuses on serial killers of color. We decided to make this the focus of our show because most of the podcasts that we listen to focused on whole white serial killers, also male, cisgender, hetero serial killers. And we thought the space could use a little spice, a little diversity. Yeah. And we believe that the victim stories
1: are important. Many of the victims are also BIPOC folks, and the media just doesn't focus on these
0: people we also get plenty of opportunities to discuss race race relations systemic oppression policing history and culture we learn something new every day and we hope that you do too
1: join us as we tell the fascinating stories of these crimes that often go untold by the mainstream media subscribe or download fruit loop serial killers of color now on itunes spotify podbean or wherever you get your podcasts
0: look alive y'all it's crazy out there Hey,
1: hey, hey, Rainbow Warriors! This is my disclaimer. Beyond the Rainbow is a true crime podcast. It's not suitable for young children, and maybe not even for some adults. I tend to swear like a sailor, and I'm kind of proud of that. Listener discretion is advised. Hey there, Rainbow Warriors, and welcome to Beyond the Rainbow: True Crimes of the LGBTQ+. I'm your host, CJ hope everyone enjoyed their holiday celebrations mine was pretty much like any other day of the calendar year which was fine my sister did send me these super cool pride dish towels she found though they're so dope i absolutely love them and for christmas for my daughter i got her a couple of tickets to see rupaul's work the world tour she's super excited I tried really hard to release this episode on New Year's Eve, but I kind of got bombarded with DarkCast network business. Also, I'm a little tired of sounding like I'm recording episodes inside a tin can, so I want you to know that I ordered some new equipment, thanks to a surprise stimulus check that the state of California sent me. Thanks, California! I'm just about ready to close out Season 7. Only two more episodes, this one included and then I'm going to start Season 8, and there will not be a noticeable break between the two. I'm not a 100% sure which cases I'm going to be covering in the next season, but I might have another collaboration with Paige from Reverie True Crime. And I also may be having a collaboration with California True Crime. Both are Dark Cast Network shows. But after that, I'm just not sure what cases I'll throw down the pipe at ya. If you have any suggestions for cases, let me know. Or if you have a suggestion for a crime quickie, let me know. My Instagram friend, Amanda Stony Panda gave me a crime quickie that I'll be covering soon. And there is one regular episode that's taking a little bit longer than I'd hope to present. It's a possible wrongful conviction case that was brought to me by a listener who DM'd me on Twitter. Hi, Giovanni! I haven't forgotten about you. It's in regards to a murder that took place in 1991. His friend Lisa sits in prison for it. I hope to bring the case to you sometime during Season 8, but I'm struggling a little internally with it. I lean one way in my feelings, but I'm not a 100% sure if I believe my feelings, so I might just have to present to you my research and see what you all think. You can find me on the socials as Beyond the Rainbow Pod on Facebook and Rainbow Crimes just about everywhere else. Please follow Darkcast Network, of which I'm a co-founder and a proud member of. You can find Darkcast on Facebook as DC Net and most everywhere else as Darkcast Network. Also, please subscribe to a virtual buffet of awesomeness. It's a podcast called Spotlight on Darkcast. On this podcast, we do a rotation of all dark cast shows. So if you get tired of eating from the same show time after time, you can spice it up and listen to an array of different shows all on one podcast. How cool is that? Should you be able to support this one-woman-researched, written, recorded, edited, and produced show? Because apparently I'm Wonder Woman. Please head over to my website at beyondtherainbopodcast.com You'll find a link to my Buy Me a Coffee account, and I love coffee! Every once in a while, a sweetheart will come along and buy me a cup of my favorite drink. Also on my website are missing but not forgotten LGBTQ members. To tell us about this episode's missing is my little sister podcast, Hosts arrive from Freaky as Fuck.
0: Hey there, Rainbow Warriors! This episode's missing but not forgotten LGBTQ plus person is Austin Cornea from Sandy, Utah. Austin is a 17-year-old trans boy and went missing from their home on November 2nd, 2021. Austin might be somewhere in Oregon, either in Portland or somewhere in Southern Oregon. Austin is 5'5 and weighs 200 pounds. He has strawberry blonde hair, but has been known to dye it other colors. He has blue eyes and has to wear glasses to see. Austin's family misses him very much, and if you should see him or know where Austin is, please let him know to contact The Trevor Project at 866-488-7386, The Trans Lifeline at 877-565-8860, Or you can call the Sandy City Police at 801-799-3000. Also missing is a 29-year-old Black trans woman who calls herself Baby James Dawson. She has been missing from Caldwell, Texas since October of 2020. It has been suggested she has been seen in Brazos County, more accurately Bryan, Texas. Some of the lag in finding Baby James could be from the media attention being inaccurate for her. There are numerous pictures depicting her before her transition as a male, as well as her dead name being used. Baby James Dawson presents as female. She is 5'11 and weighs 165 pounds. A picture of her and of Austin Cornea can be viewed on the Beyond the Rainbow website. Back at you CJ.
1: Thank you Sarai. If you haven't listened to Freaky as Fuck yet, it's a must. Soraya is with the Darkcast Network, and here's two reasons why I love her show. Most of her cases, if not all of her cases, I've never heard of before. And the other reason is that they're short for my attention deficit. But there's so many other reasons to love Freaky as Fuck. Those were just my top two. So be sure to check Sarai out on the podcast Freaky AF. It was a warm, sunny Saturday evening at Fourberry Gardens in Reading. Reading is 71 kilometers from London, or about 44 miles, roughly about an hour's drive. The date was June 20th, 2020. Family and friends were enjoying the weather in the park. Four gay friends were sitting at a park bench and they were soaking in the beautiful weather. They were just talking about life as friends do. A 25 year old man from Libya, dressed in shorts and a sweatshirt, runs through the park. He's carrying a kitchen knife. He randomly runs past people yelling, Allahu Akbar, which we've actually heard before in my Sharia law and honor killing episode. Allahu Akbar loosely translates to God is great, or Allah is great. This attacker approaches the bench of friends, and he stabs all four men before he runs towards another group of men at the park. The second group see the attacker coming towards them, and the three of them scatter. They're able to run away from the man while they scream for help. The attacker diverts, and he sees another group of men nearby, and he runs towards them, stabbing two more. The assailant then runs out of the park, still yelling, Allahu Akbar! The perpetrator is tackled by an off-duty police officer, who's not far from the park. The off-duty officer calls for backup and takes the assailant into custody. The attacker is Kairi Sadala a man with a violent past who was in the UK as a candidate for asylum, this being from his home country of Libya. Khairi has fought as a teenager in the Libyan army. He had been part of an Islamic terrorist group called Ansar al-Sharia. He came to the UK when he was just 17 years old in 2012. It's suggested in the UK is where he joined a cell of Islamic terrorists. Why the UK was still entertaining giving this guy asylum is beyond me. He had been arrested many times from the time he arrived until 2019. On one occasion, he called a female police officer a slave and he spat in her face. She reportedly said he was the vilest thing she had come into contact with in all her years as an officer. His offenses throughout the years were multiple assaults on police and emergency workers. He had racially aggravated harassment. He had been in possession of knives, and I don't think they were simply kitchen knives like the one he ran through the park with. He also had been arrested for causing suffering to animals. With that last one alone, I say hang him. At least the UK should have shipped the fucker back to Libya. Let them deal with him. He didn't want to be there, and that's exactly where he should have been, back home. I'm sure they wouldn't have put up with all this shit. After another stint in jail in March of 2020, a judge once again released this asshole into the public so he could cause more havoc and more chaos. The MI5, who are UK's domestic counterintelligence and security agency, They were supposed to be keeping an eye on Kyrie, but apparently not as watchful of an eye as they should have been. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been able to run through a busy city park while it was still light outside and stab six people in less than a minute. His victims that evening seemed to be just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Kyrie didn't seem to know any of them. Stephen Young was one of the four gay men sitting at the park bench wrapped up in conversation with his other three friends. Stephen was stabbed in his head, and he needed 28 stitches. Stephen survived the attack. The last two men attacked by Kyrie that evening were Nasheed Nisudan and Patrick Edwards. They were stabbed, but in spite of their injuries, they survived. Three of the four friends sitting on the park bench were 49-year-old David Wales, who was a scientist, a chemist who had a gift for making people smile, 36-year-old James Furlong, a history teacher who was proudly gay, and he wanted equality for all, and there was an American, 39-year-old Joseph Ritchie Bennett from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Joe was a people person a really friendly guy. He was a pharmaceutical manager and he'd been living in the UK for the past 15 years. He was excited he was about to turn 40 years old and for his 40th he had plans to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. He was also going to take a trip to Greece. Joe had lost his husband to cancer just five years earlier. All three of these friends would die from their stab wounds in spite of heroic efforts from random people in the park who tried to save them. After Kyrie was tackled and taken into custody, he admitted to killing three men and assaulting another three. He told police he believed he was performing an act of religious jihad and he had to kill as many as he could. At his sentencing hearing, he denied a terrorist motive. He demanded his motive was fueled by religious beliefs. And then the next day, he denied he was motivated by religion. Dr. CJ believes this guy has some serious mental issues, but that's neither here nor there. The jury found him guilty on three counts of murder and three counts of attempted murder. His sentence was a full or whole life sentence, and I had to look that up. It's exactly what I think a life sentence should be. The killer remains in prison until they die. Doesn't that make sense? That's what a life sentence should be? Kyrie did appeal the court, but was denied his bid for appeal. The families of the deceased victim stated that while the sentence won't bring back their loved ones, it does offer a sense of comfort that this man will never be able to walk the streets and hurt innocent people again. A year from the date that the assailant ran through Fourberry Gardens Park, slaying three men and injuring another three, a memorial tribute was held for the men who died. Yellow roses were laid on the park's bandstand to remember the three men taken too soon. Guests took turns honoring their three lost loved ones with touching memories and speeches. Rest in power, David, James, and Joseph. Our true crime quickie this episode comes to us from the year 2015 in Brooklyn, New York. Being an LGBTQ plus actor, professional athlete, or any kind of celebrity couldn't be easy, especially if you were not out and proud. I mean, if you are closeted now, but not a celebrity, and you're scared to death someone's going to find out, imagine how people who are continually under public microscopes must feel. Not only do they have the fear of family and friend rejection, but openly living their truth could destroy their career. Ellen DeGeneres. She came out while her career was in full force as a comedic actress in a sitcom, but when she came out as a lesbian, her sitcom tanked, and it took quite a few years for her to not be considered a Hollywood pariah anymore. Same would go for professional athletes. Even ones that go into competing in their sport being openly gay. They have stigmatisms thrown at them. Look at Greg Louganis. He's an Olympic diver who's openly gay. He competed in the 1984 and 1988 Olympics. And I remember this was also the height of the AIDS epidemic. And in 1988, Greg was competing and he hit the back of his head on the diving board, which caused him to bleed into the pool. As it turns out, Greg was and is HIV positive. And as the news of his HIV came out, people all over the world were enraged that he was being allowed to compete. Greg went on to win back-to-back gold medals in both the 1984 and 1988 Olympics. But the anger people held about Greg's HIV status and that he was gay, it dimmed the light on the pretty gold medals he won. Even my favorite football team, And don't come at me because this has been my team since I was little. But my team is the Raiders. And they have one of the very first openly gay players. His name is Carl Nassib. And I'm sure he's received his share of shit about being gay from other players. And even the former Raiders coach, John Gruden, that I absolutely loved until an email of his from several years back blew up in his face. And it exposed him to be anti-woman, anti-people of color, and anti-LGBTQ+. By the way, I don't think his email was as bad as media made it. But my point is, if you are in the spotlight, all eyes are upon you. You have to be on your best behavior at all times. So going back to my original statement, being LGBTQ+, with celebrity status, has got to be hard for anyone and that is why many celebrities choose to hide their truths. Which finally brings us to our story. Basketball college star and New York Knicks draft Michael Wright. There is no proof in all the media that Michael Wright was gay or even bisexual, but it's been heavily suggested that he was. Although he was drafted by the New York Knicks, Michael went on to play basketball in a European league. Rumors of him being gay floated around and he tried not to be bothered by it. Sometimes it would sting, especially the time when all of his teammates wouldn't shower with him there. He was the league's top player, yet the guys didn't feel comfortable being naked around him. Which to me is absolutely fucking ridiculous. I mean, come on. If you are straight, you're not attracted to every one of the opposite sex, are you? I'm a lesbian and I'm not attracted to every single woman. That's just dumb. Besides, the guys in the locker room, they all had the same damn parts. On November 10, 2015, Michael, who was 6 feet 7 inches tall, was found murdered in the back of his SUV under some garbage bags. He was reported missing two days prior on the 8th by his longtime roommate, Mark Holdbrooks. Although, in reality, Michael had been missing since November 5th. When Mark was questioned by the police as to why he waited so long to report Michael missing, Mark said it wasn't uncharacteristic for Michael to leave on a Thursday and not return until Sunday. He said Michael did this often and Mark never asked what he was out doing. Michael was raising his daughter with his roommate, Mark, because Mark also had a daughter about the same age. The two men were kind of co-raising their girls. In fact, Mark lived with Michael when Michael was still living in Chicago playing basketball. And when Michael was drafted by the New York Knicks, Mark and his daughter moved with Michael and his daughter to New Jersey. Mark would take care of Michael's daughter when Michael was over in Europe playing basketball. There was someone in Michael's life, one of his closest friends, who knew for a fact Michael was gay. The closest friend also said that was not characteristic of Michael to leave on a Thursday and not come back till Sunday. He said that the claim by Mark was totally out in the left field, The close friend had also suggested Michael had shared with him he thought he might be being drugged by someone. It seems some other incidents of Michael possibly being drugged had occurred up to the time of his death, including Michael being pulled over for a driving under the influence. Michael had only had half a drink when he was pulled over. Another time, Michael had come home and just collapsed in the living room. In spite of Michael sharing with his closest friend that he felt he was being drugged by someone, his roommate Mark chalked it up to Michael taking the wrong medication. He said Michael was going through a midlife crisis, and he was out boozing it up and partying. He also said that Michael wasn't playing basketball at the time, and basketball provided a stability that Michael needed to stay grounded. Mark, the roommate, benefited from the paychecks Michael would bring home from playing basketball in Europe. But playing in Europe was hard on Michael. He missed his daughter so much when he was gone. In 2014, a year before he was found murdered in the back of his SUV, Mark told Michael he had prostate cancer and his treatments were going to be expensive. This compelled Michael to go back to Europe for a while and earn money to pay for Mark's treatments. Though Michael had told his closest friend, he didn't want to go back to Europe and leave his daughter again. He did tell his friend when he got back, he was going to buy another home for just him and his daughter to live. He didn't want to live with Mark anymore. After Michael's murder, media had known about the gay rumors floating around Michael and soon speculation by media posed the possibility Michael had met a man on grinder and that was who took his life. A coroner's examination would show that Michael had head trauma. He had been bashed in his head with an axe. He also had a cut and a puncture wound near his eye. He was only 35 years old at the time of his death. Police sifted through this being a possible grinder-date attack and murder, but they kept coming up empty. As hard as I can be on police, I was happy to hear that the detectives assigned to this case kept at it. After nearly a year, they felt as though they were getting closer. It was determined from Michael's toxicology report he'd been given GHB, a date-rape drug, Michael was right, he was being drugged. After that, the police had examined every inch of Michael's home that he shared with Mark. They concentrated heavily on the basement in the garage. Luminol detected blood splatter. And so detectives made the determination Michael had been murdered in his own home and he was transported in his white Lexus SUV to where he was found on East 16th Street in Brooklyn. His roommate, 59-year-old Mark Holdbrooks, and another man, 35-year-old David Victor, were arrested for Michael's murder. It seems that after Michael's death, Mark was receiving money for continuing to raise Michael's daughter. Mark also has a criminal history with time served in prison. Bail for both Mark and David was set at $3 million each. Trial didn't start until 2017, and then it was stalled due to a conflict of interest with one of the alleged killers and the prosecution's office. The trial is still ongoing, and I'll keep you updated should I hear of any resolution that might come from it. Rest in power, Michael. Love you, Rainbow Warriors. And remember, it's not a crime to be gay, unless you're a murderer.